Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. Hey guys, in this episode, I sat down with Justin Bogard and got a chance to talk with him. He's a mortgage note investor like I am. He runs a note fund and he focuses on seller financed notes. We talk a lot about uh, relationship challenges and a some personal you know, family challenges and divorce that he's been through, um, which unfortunately is very relatable for a lot of people. And then we also talk about some uh, instances where he's lost a good bit of money in real estate transactions and the lessons he's learned from that. We talk about how he, the discipline and other principles he's gathered from his background in athletics as well and talk about, you know, the importance of structure and um, communication. Uh, with that said, we also discuss how he's never going back to what he refers to as W-2 jail. Um, so I think, you know, because he puts this discipline and structure in place, he's that enables him to have freedom and go play golf when he wants to and go to his daughter's events when he wants to and that kind of thing. So it's a really uh, relatable episode. We talk a lot about family and work-life balance and and um, things that I think, you know, if you're on the, the edge about becoming an entrepreneur or becoming an investor, specifically with regard to real estate and mortgage notes, this episode is one you're not going to want to miss. Investors, have you ever felt frustrated by your loan servicer, experienced challenging communication, or the headache of tracking taxes and insurance? Meet BiFi, a loan servicing company founded by investors for investors. With an expert team and best-in-class vendors, BiFi will partner with you to service your loan from start to exit. Visit BiFiLS.com to see how you can get started today. That's B-I-F-I-L-S. Com. Welcome to the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur? Then this show is for you. Each week, we bring you impactful stories of real people who have overcome painful human adversity to create a life of abundance. A life of abundance. You are not alone in your struggle. Join us and you will experience the power of true stories and gain practical knowledge from founders who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. This podcast will encourage you through your health, relationship, and financial challenges so you can become the hero in your quest for freedom. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live. Turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman, and I'm thrilled today to have with us Justin Bogard. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, Jamie. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. Uh, Justin, you are one of the founders of American Note Buyers, um, among other things. I know uh, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit better over the last couple of years, and I'm really excited to dive in here. For the audience out there, for the listener, um, who are you and why should we listen to you? <laughs> right. So my name is Justin Bogart, as as uh, Jamie pointed out. I am a real estate note investor. I co-founded uh, American Note Buyers with uh, my business partner, Richard Thornton. And so I run the operations of the business and we manage a real estate fund. 
Awesome. That's cool. So now just um, obviously you and I are somewhat in the same space, but basically in the same professional space, we have a little bit of a different approach to our, how we run our business businesses. But um, for the uh, listener out there, who's unfamiliar with, you know, mortgage notes are how that works. What is, what do you, you know, what, what is it that your business actually does in a little bit more detail? Yeah, so we specialize in what we call mom and pop seller finance notes. We we purchase them for the uh, the purpose of buying the performing cash flow, and then we end up uh, reselling those notes in uh, in volume later after we hold them for for a year or two. And that's the purpose for our fund right now. Awesome, perfect. I know we're gonna come back to that in a little bit and dive into your business and and. Uh, you know, the different types of uh, people you work with and who you serve and that kind of thing. Um, let's jump into your backstory, Justin. Uh, I know you've been through some some hard times and and obviously this show is called From Adversity to Abundance. And like we briefly mentioned before we hit record, everyone's story is different um, and everyone's version of adversity, everyone's, you know, picture of abundance is different, but that's what makes your story uh, unique. And that's why we want to hear about it. So, um, where do you want to start off? Oh, we can start wherever. Um, <clears throat> I, I like to, uh, when people work with me with investors that want to invest in our fund or clients that want to purchase notes from us and kind of continue a long-term relationship with them, they, they kind of want to know that the man that I am and the, the characters that I have. And I, I always root that back to my sports days <laughs> uh, growing nice. up. So yeah, my dad, um, is still is a, a big sports fanatic. He loves sports and he grew up with uh, nine other brothers and sisters. So he's a family oh, of wow. 10. Uh, his mom was a family of 12. He, she's part of 12 siblings. So they, they come from a very big family. So uh, this was, he grew up in the fifties and sixties. So mm-hmm. he had to share a bedroom uh, with a brother, one of his, one or two of his brothers, his whole life until he moved out to college and then he finally, you know, got to be on his own. So he he always was playing sports. He was always doing things. He was very active in general. And, you know, still today, he he can't sit still. So when <laughs> I was growing up, you know, I, I'm the only boy in the family. I have two older sisters. Um, the oldest it. one's about eight years older than me. And so I was always in sports, which which I wanted to do because, you know, I'm a kid. I want to play baseball. I want to do soccer. I want to do swimming, football, basketball, you know, all that stuff. So my dad would always push me to do that stuff and was always, you know, practicing with me and stuff. So I, that became a big part of my life. And so uh, as I got better in certain sports and certain sports, I didn't excel in, uh, it happened to be swimming was the best sport that I excelled in. So I ended up doing that kind of year round. And, and, and as I got better, I had, you know, different coaches and was pushed in different ways. And that kind of developed me into a very having structured environment. <clears throat> and then also not having time to do anything else. <laughs> as yeah. you know, Jamie, you, you play yeah. lacrosse and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was always driven that way. I, I ended up um, being in the Indiana state finals my senior year for uh, swimming. And so I, we had a medley relay team and I was in an individual's uh, event, a hundred meter, hundred yard breaststroke, excuse me. And so that, that was kind of my biggest achievement. I ended up going to college because of it, uh, getting a scholarship nice. to go to college. And I swam in the junior college uh, national championships for two years in a row qualified for the U.S. Open in the 200-yard breaststroke in uh, 1999. Wow. Didn't go That's to awesome. the U.S. Open, but I did qualify mm. for it. I kind of reached the pinnacle of where I could. I actually qualified by one one-hundredth of a second. So it's just like, you <laughs> wow. know, the, the, the length of a, of a, the thickness of a hair, you know, is yeah. how I would describe it, is how I got that cut. But awesome. uh, I, I just, with all the training, and those of you yeah. that are athletes, you kind of understand what you have to go through with your body mentally. Definitely uh, mentally that your body physically obviously have to go through. So that's kind of where my discipline, my yeah. strive, my determination, my, my never really quit attitude, never, never give up attitude. Yeah. kind of derives from that. No, I love it. And I mean, I, I come from a big family myself and we were all athletes, uh, and, um, you know, I can relate on many levels. Um, you know, I think team sports and individual sports obviously teach slightly different lessons but yeah. i think just there's so much you can draw from sports in general and just so many life lessons i i think are you know very ac- applicable um my my daughter through her school is 
she has to pick an after school activity and tends to be sports. And I, you know, she's not going to be a professional athlete most likely. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Um, I think uh, there's so much you can apply from sports. I love it. Um, And like you alluded to the, the, the discipline, not just, I mean, just the structure of, um, you know, I, I just think when you're not involved in a sport where you're working toward a goal and training and focused on accomplishing something, um, you just tend to, people tend to drift and yeah. not do as well academically or whatever else. And of course, a lot of these lessons you can learn from other, you know, things outside of sports, but I think sports naturally lend themselves to teach these, these, uh, lessons. So, um, okay. So you did the junior college swimming thing and, yeah. uh, you know, in, in a very impressive way. And then, uh, and then what happened? So I ended up doing another year. Uh, junior college is only for two years, for those of you that don't know that. And so I yeah. did another year at uh, our Indianapolis College, IEPY, uh, studying for computer science and math. And I ended up not graduating on purpose. Okay. I actually quit quit college. And I ended up working for a temp agency that kind of put me in a, a job opportunity for working for uh, a printing company of all places. So I I figured out how to use my computer skills to help that company out and ended up managing, being their database manager and IT type manager. And so I just kind of went from there to another mail company slash print company and then went to another mail slash print company and kind of built myself up in middle management. So I got a lot of uh, training and skills on how to be a manager and then also how to, um, you know, be heavily involved in in the data, data mining of, of those companies. Now, what you, did you choose? To, I mean, why did you choose computer science? Was it you were good at it or you thought it would be you could find a high paying job or a combination? All, all of the above, really. Yeah. At the time, see, I graduated high school in 1997. So I was in college from, you know, 98 to 2000, 2001. And yeah. at the time, you know, the, the dot com bubble was out there. And mm-hmm. so having an online presence, using computer skills, getting certain programming languages was a big push because the whole world was starting to really understand that, um, you know, computer science is really the future of what we need for software and hardware. And so all that stuff interests me, probably more hardware than software. Okay. I actually ended up doing some electrical engineering um, uh, classes as well. And so all that stuff kind of interests me. I'm, I'm a very hands-on type of person. I, I don't like to read instructions, surprise, surprise, being a man. Right. <laughs> right. But I yeah. do like to reverse engineer how things work. And I do like to look at a problem and solve it on my own. I, that, that challenge is very um, relaxing I'm, to me, if, if, okay. you can, if you can say that. Sure. Uh, I, I like that. So like when my mom would buy things for, uh, she had a, a small beauty salon. So she would buy like certain chairs or certain equipment. And she would ask me to put them together. Like I would just like to put it together. I learned how to work on cars, like by myself, just reading, you know, magazines and books and stuff. And mm-hmm. all those things just interest me being, being mechanically minded like that. And so sure. that was the computer science part was obviously a lot less physical work. So it was sure. just, you know, using a keyboard in your mind. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's really what interests me in computer science. Makes sense. All right. So, and then why did you quit college? Was that, was it just not going well or was that more of an intentional decision that you didn't, didn't want to go that Um, route? Both. So I I didn't do well in school and in college. I didn't get very good grades. I was probably more or less a C, B student in high school and in college. I I did put forth the the best effort that I could with having a full swimming schedule as well. And it was very difficult. Um, not asking for anybody's pity for that, but it was (laughs) difficult because yeah, I'd never been pushed in school before. So I found out very quickly that I just wasn't built well to take tests and wasn't built well to be in a classroom environment like that, per se. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so I needed to learn things on my own and be a lot more visual. Yeah. So Makes I sense. decided that I wanted to get into the workforce and and use what I know to start getting a job instead of going through school again. It was just uh, it was like how I describe it nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> for me to Absolutely. be in school. So I, I don't say that for anyone listening to not go to school. If anybody young yeah. is listening on this podcast, I just say that because it just didn't work for me. It didn't fit me. Yeah. I'm not going to push my kids to go to school if they don't want to, as far that as was my next, that was my next question. Actually, I know you have kids and, yeah. um, you know, what's your, what's your advice to your, your kids about college? So I've talked, my daughters are nine and 11 right now and they, they are, I'm not sure if I told them I didn't finish college or not. I think I might've told the oldest one, but I've already told them that 
they they choose what they want to do as far as what they want to be when they grow up. And it doesn't have to involve college and it can if you want, uh, but it's not it's not a big push for me. And they know that coming from me and, and from their mom too. Mm-hmm. Got it. I think you were just cutting edge. I mean, now it seems like college might be uh, <laughs> not as necessary. So we'll just say that you you were a trendsetter. <laughs> no. Well, I'll, I'll just say this, not to digress too much, but specialty seminars are really mm-hmm. like master's degree in your in your craft. Mm-hmm. So what we do, Jamie, if, if we were to take um, certain mentorship programs like out, out of high school or after a few years of college, it mm-hmm. would it would have benefited us greatly to what we are today. We probably could have fast tracked, uh, sure. you know, 10, 10, 8 to ten years of our life just by going through specialty uh, note note training or real estate yeah. training uh, right out of college, right out of high school, as opposed to going to college just to get you know a, a general education with a specific minor. For sure. No, I, I talked before about how I had I ended up working for a title company and I. Realized how little I knew about any of that. What, yeah. What's how? What's the settlement statement? What is title insurance? You know, still which don't is actually, that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a good point. But um, you know, it's pretty important to understand at least how you know these transactions work. But certainly not something I learned in school. But um, so yeah, let's fast forward a little bit. I mean, obviously, the we're going to hit on some of the. Uh, the adversity. I know you, I know you, what you've talked about is already, you know, we've been through challenges up to, you know, what we've talked about already, but let's kind of focus on some of the more serious um, adversity that you ended up facing. So what I talk about so far is not real world problem stuff. It's not, it's not even a problem in anyone else's eyes. I, I was pretty fortunate. I have a mom and dad that worked um, one, one to two jobs and they worked all the time and they provided for us. And we had a nice home. We, we always had clothes on our backs and we had food in our bellies. So we're very grateful for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. They pushed us in sports. They pushed us in school and stuff. So, you know, that part of it, I def, definitely no no adversity there. Just just my own uh, trying trying to get through life, you know, the, sure. the normal way. So um, I ended up getting uh, married probably in my early 30s, I think, to, mm-hmm. to my first wife. And so then we had a kid shortly after that. So obviously, you know, my daughter's 11. So it was yeah. about 12 years ago when I, when I first got married, fast forward from, from today. And so that, that marriage didn't uh, last very long. I think we were married for about four or five years. Gotcha. And it was, um, I thought I married my best friend and it d- didn't turn out to be that way. Um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, problems with, with relationships is not success that I've had mm. uh, just, just as, just as an individual in relationships. So um, lo and behold, I find out that, you know, there's a lot of drinking involved. You know, she, she was drinking a lot and she ended up uh, cheating on me as well mm-hmm. a couple of wow. times. So it was pretty devastating to find that out because it's just like, you know, you got hit in the face all of a sudden. You're just like, where, where did this come from? Like, who, who sure. is this person? Like, yes, you weren't that person yesterday. Like what, what's going on? So, you know, wow. we, we did go through counseling and stuff to try to work through some of our stuff. And that's kind of how all this, this bled out. So that gotcha. was about a year and a half to two years worth of, of dealing with this, uh, this person's, you know, the uncertainty of understanding, like what, what, what's going on with you? Are you okay? You know, wh- why are you doing this? And, um, yeah. it was just things that I would, I just didn't notice when I was, um, when we were together and we got married. And so yeah. that was kind of a, a huge, that's probably been the biggest, uh, adversity I had to come over in my life was just understanding why that happened. And sure. No, I appreciate and, you. Yeah sharing it's not a it's not always you know the necessarily how you want to spend your days you know talk about your your, your divorce no. and all this but I, i've um, never openly talked about that over over the air like i those of you that don't know me i have my own podcast and i have my own month live monthly broadcast that i've done for yeah. the past five or six years and i i don't openly talk about my problems or, or do anything on facebook like that but yeah um but no, yeah, it, it affected me in a way that I, I can't I can't describe unless you've gone through it because I just started a business. You had just started a job. business. Uh huh. Yeah. About so give a us a little months. bit. Um, you know, not, we don't have to drill down on the the stuff you've already mentioned, but give us a little more context as far as yeah. so you had one child together uh, at that point, or and, we actually and, had both of our kids at that. point. Okay. So okay. Got it. The, the, makes sense. The girls were. Um, yeah, that makes I sense. I think they were four years old and two years old. Okay. So, so you had two, two girls together and then, um, and you had just started a business, you said? Yeah. So she, she had went out on her own first and decided to be, 
kind of a what I call a print broker. So she would work with different clients that would need printing material done, like you know, large magazines and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so uh, we, I kind of helped her with that on the side. And so while she was building her her business, I was still working a W two job. And mm-hmm. then once she had enough money to to support you know that part of the income, uh, I just wanted to be in real estate. And so I. Uh, saw all these HGTV people at the mm-hmm. time. That's when mm-hmm. you know, Property Brothers and Fix and Flipper were very hot, very, very mm-hmm. new. Yeah. And so I wanted to be just like them. And I thought I could do it. And lo and behold, there was a, a team that came into town that was promoting uh, Tarek and Christina El Musa at the time. Okay. And so I went to that seminar and then I bought into another seminar and then let me to another seminar and mm-hmm. you know, paid a bunch of money for that stuff. And, and then took yeah, just got my... Um, we cut, cut my teeth in real estate, I guess, mm. from there. And then I, I figured out how to do it. I, uh, I quit, quit my job and just wanted to focus on that full time. And then just kind of just my back was against the wall and I just had to figure it out. So I, I hadn't gotten uh, divorced or had those issues with my wife just yet at that point. But mm-hmm. that's kind of how I started in real estate. Sure. So and was was uh, as far as your decision, because our listener you know, may, may have a W2, may have a side hustle, may be thinking about quitting or, you know, at that time was, did you get your, your wife on board with you, um, quitting your W2? What was that transition like, uh, from W2 to entrepreneur, entrepreneur? It, it was pretty easy transition. The company that I worked for was very understanding and, and very supportive, uh, for me to try to go out on my own. They they knew I was very driven. I, I was good at what I do. I, I didn't leave them high and dry by any means. I stayed on for a couple of months to kind of transition out. So I cut back my hours you know, each month. And each month I would add hours to my real estate business as I was learning and reading more and, and getting more training and spending more money and figuring this stuff out on my own. So that transition was kind of nice. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it was easy. It was just nice because everybody mm-hmm. understood from, from all facets, from my wife to the company that I worked for. So that, that was a nice positive reinforcement there. Got it. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like, like mine. I took my time and I went part-time for seven years and, uh, was building my real estate, you know, business on the side and then eventually quit, uh, in March of last year. But, um, so, okay. So then the divorce and, 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 you know, I say this a lot on the show, but it's, it's, a kind of the uh, necessary evil as far as the risk we run with with the show or I run as far as just glossing over people's pain and adversity. And, you know, I know you mentioned that was a year and a half to two years of kind of dealing with that. And yeah. uh, that's not, <laughs> none of that was easy. And I know, I know there was a lot that, you know, we're glossing over, but um, talk to us about kind of from that, I guess, after that two year period was up or, you know, what, what happened um, after the, kind of that transition took place? Well, just everything kind of started falling apart. So I uh, took on a, not a business partner, but kind of a, a project construction manager partner, if you will, a, a non-equity partner. Okay. And so I would be the expert at financing and finding the deals and just underwriting the project in general with with a direction mm-hmm. of where we wanted to go with, with fix and flipping and, and wholesaling. Okay. And the, the construction manager was someone that I trusted and was my friend and they were supposed to manage the project, get the people in and get the work done. So we, we worked pretty well together for the most part, but um, they just didn't have the same drive and tenacity that, that I did. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that were just going a little bit slower paced and a lot of, you know, a few mistakes that were happening. And it was just constantly mm-hmm. like revolving door of contractors coming in and out as far as like they didn't mm-hmm. do it right. <laughs> we have to redo their work and pay for pay for more stuff. What, so, uh, what year was this? This was around 2015, 2016. Got it. Okay. So when you can uh, still find deals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So so we could find deals and start working on them. So I, I you know, we do a couple projects at a time, but it isn't too many because these were my first couple of deals. And sure. so that that was like right when the bad stuff started happening with uh, finding out about the adultery and uh, the mm-hmm. drinking I knew about for a year or two. And that wasn't the worst part about it. It was um, the adultery. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, it's just, yeah, that would just 
Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like someone else living a second life and right in front of you and you don't even know what's happening. It's just like, I, I don't, at first you don't believe it. You're just like, how is that possible? Like I I'm around you all the time. Like how, how physically do you have time to do, to do any of this stuff? You know? Sure. Uh, yeah. I, and then just, I imagine it just, yeah, it rocks you to your core. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. So what goes through your mind as far as, you know, um, you know, what's, what's going through your mind at that time as, as you're progressing through that, yeah. that hard couple of years, what's, what's happening internally and, and with your mindset? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, I would describe it as, um, you know, like the steps to alcoholism, like mm. you know, being an alcoholic and going through Alcoholics Anonymous, I would, I would take it to that extent as far as like, at first you're just, you're just un- unaware that, that this is happening. Mm-hmm. And then you finally have to come to realization that it happened and there's not anything you can do about it, but you need to accept it. And then you need to start figuring out how to go forward. Mm-hmm. But the main thing that I was concerned with was my kids. Um, I'm very sure. close to my kids. I care deeply about my children and I want to be the best father that I can to them. And I, I am more concerned at this point. I'm, I'm siloing my feelings and putting them to the side, which isn't a good thing. But I did that because I wanted my kids to be reassured that you know, daddy's okay. Mommy's okay. Um, yeah. it's just, we're going to be living in two different houses, you know, that they're very young. They, they didn't react in a negative way. They just looked at it as, oh, this is cool. I'm getting two Christmases now. <laughs> I'm getting two birthdays now. They're like, oh yeah, sure. you know, they're, they're, they're spinning the fun out of it, you know, spinning it to the positive. Yeah. Um, but so that, that was kind of my first priority is how do I take care of them? Second priority, how do I make sure I get money coming in the door? Sure. And my third priority is how how do I how do I accept what happened and how how do I move forward from this and how do I learn from these these challenges? So it was it wasn't easy at all. You know, you have to go mm-hmm. through counseling and and figure out what to do. And then you know, on top of that, mistakes are happening with being a first time entrepreneur and and trying yeah. to figure out this real estate game on how to do things and how to trust people and how to how to vet deals and vet people and and just knowing how to run a business. It was. Um, uh, Jamie, I made all the mistakes in the world and <laughs> I lost yeah. a crap ton of money too. I lost $60,000 on one flip. Wow. That is a lot. I mean, it's a lot when you, I mean, at any for anyone, right? But especially when you're going through a divorce yeah. and I mean. Uh, my, my mind probably wasn't right. At the time, I thought I was sharp and I knew what I was doing. But before I knew it, people were making mistakes. We were to market too early. I was, you know, I, I. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I can look back now and point fingers, but at the end of the day, sure. the, the person that is the problem is the person that's talking on the microphone right now. No, I appreciate you being vulnerable and honest. And it's, you know, it's that and that's what I'm trying to get at with this show is it's it's all it's easy to think that it's all rainbows and unicorns and Justin Bogart's this entrepreneur who's just got it made and was handed everything and <laughs> no. It's not like that. And um no, I appreciate you sharing. But so what, if looking back on, and I know we haven't finished the rest of the story yet, but just kind of <laughs> up to there's that more. point. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> there's but more. up to that well, point with both the, the family hardships and the business and um, technically not partnership, but you know, business hardships or you know, relationships there. What have you learned at this point? You know, looking back, what did you learn up, up at that um, till that point? Any lessons you could pull out? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of lessons. Um, you know, at, at first, as far as a relationship goes, um, I need to be more open with my feelings. I didn't need to wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit more. So at least the other person knows where I'm at and mm-hmm. the person knows my values and how I feel and what, what I think. Sure. And then also I need to, I need to make sure that they reciprocate that as well and make sure the communication is a two way street and and not very closed off. And I think that was a, a big major problem with my first, first marriage mm-hmm. was that the communication just wasn't open. It was always assumed that the other party was happy because mm-hmm. I didn't know otherwise, but we didn't also talk about it either. So mm-hmm. th- there's, there isn't blame, hundred percent blame on her side. You know, there's, there's blame on my side as well. And so that's what I learned from my first marriage is, is the communication really is the open door. And, and like what you said, Jamie, no matter what you see on people's Facebook posts, all this happy, you know, rainbows yeah. and sunshine stuff, it isn't reality at all. Right. It's a facade of what's really going on. I'm not saying every, every happy person on Facebook is actually depressed and sad and everything's horrible on their side. It's right, just, right. it's, they're not showing you the full 
gambit of the picture of the story. Right. They're, you're just seeing the highlight reel, right? Yeah. And, and, and the truth is, and I, you know, I've talked about this with my wife. It's like, you know, people only put their, their vacation pictures. Yeah. But I kind of like seeing their vacation pictures. Like, well, I do that too. Yeah. I, you know, I, yeah, exactly. I don't want to necessarily always dive into people's problems all day. I'm going on social media to, you know, to have a nice positive break. So we're not saying it's necessarily a bad thing that people are doing that, yeah. but just understand that, that what, what they're posting is it, it can get, if you take that as 24 seven, this is what their life is always like. That's just not, not the truth. Yeah. Um, it's, and Yeah. Everybody has their own struggles. Everybody has their own life problems and, and it all sucks, but there's also a positive yeah. to it. There's also highs and there's also lows and we all go through it. And I expect that to happen in the future. Yeah. And by all means, I feel like I've had, you know, in, in my experience and walking a mile in my shoes, I, I've had some hard times, but, mm -hmm. but they're not probably anything like somebody else's hard times to where maybe they, they've lost a loved one or something very, very traumatic has happened to them. I don't yeah. want to compare myself to a situation like that, but I sure. have gone through hard times and, and, um, yeah. I know that it's made me stronger and I've, and I had to learn from those hard times in order to get back, you know, to the, to the positive direction. So, yeah. So, and the, on the small business side or the real estate investing side, what was, uh, anything, uh, was communication also the lesson there or what was the, the lesson you could take from, from that? It's, it's really, it's, the real estate, knowing how to flip a house or knowing how to wholesale, it's not that complicated. Mm -hmm. Knowing how to buy a note or invest a note, it's not that complicated. It isn't rocket mm -hmm. science. Yeah. But that's one small part of it. Mm -hmm. So when you're on your own, you either do this as a part-time thing or you do this as a full-time thing. I chose to do it as a full-time thing. I had, I had only my own money to back me, and I mm -hmm. didn't ask for any help or any money from my family. And I don't know if they would have gave it to me, but I didn't ask for it because I didn't want that. That's not the type of person I am. I don't, I don't want a handout. I want to learn the mm -hmm. hard way because I'm hard headed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I did that on my own. So when I lost all that money, I was negative. My, my, my worth was in, in the hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars negative. Mm, wow. So it was and, devastating. So, and that just to, um, with the family side of things, when you were one to two hundred thousand dollars negative, whatever it was exactly, but when you were had no money, what was going on on the was that as you were going through the divorce, or what was the timing of everything? How did that line up with the the family side of things? Yeah, so w when I found out about um, the, the adultery stuff, I I knew the relationship was over, and that at least that was a known fact going forward, mm. and that that mm -hmm. just going through the divorce separating the assets and all that stuff was actually easy to do mm. because there was no disagreement from either side on stuff. Mm. We didn't make it, well, I should say I didn't make it, um, difficult for the other, other person for my mm -hmm. ex. Sure. Um, I, I just said, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. What's the point? I, I could, I right. could dislike them. I could say, I loathe them. I could say, I hate them. I, I could try mm -hmm. to spite them. I could try to put things back in their face and be, you know, passive aggressive, but at the end of the day, who cares? Yeah. You know, no, who really good. cares? What good is that going to do me by being vindictive? And so that's just not the person that I am. So I just, I just move on. I just be the best co-parent that I can with them. You know, sure. to this day, we, we still communicate pretty well and there's no like friction or problem between us. We just, I just kind of said what I said, you know, mm -hmm. while we were getting divorced and it just yeah. is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it to change the past. So then the, the, Business hardships, how did timing wise, how did that coincide with the divorce? It, it kind of, it was the perfect it was, storm. It, it all gotcha. happened kind of at the same time. And there's a saying that you hear when it rains, it pours. And, mm -hmm. and I relate to that in a lot of times in my life. I know mm -hmm. when something bad happens and a couple other things bad happen, like the rest of it's going to come down. So just expect it to come mm -hmm. down. So it doesn't seem yeah. that bad, right? <laughs> you know what's going to happen. <laughs> sure. If you know someone's yeah. going to rip off the bandaid, at least you know, as opposed to being surprised about it. Um, yeah. Take it a little better. The, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to our mutual friend, uh, Chris Seveny's uh, episode on my show. It was episode three. So we're going back about a year, but, yeah. um, he went through, there was a two or three month period where it was a divorce and about $250,000 in debt, if I recall correctly. And then he also had a major 
health scare. Uh, yeah. And so again, you get into this comparison game and that's not the point. Um, yeah. It's just uh, in a lot of ways, you know, he went through a similar, similar type story where just like you said, when it rains, it pours and um, he ended up moving geographically and kind of restarting. So how did you, yeah. um, how did you refocus? How did you rebuild at that point? What's uh, kind of the same way you d- described Chris's story. I, that's, that's kind of how I think I just like a computer. I just want to reboot. <laughs> yeah. I want to push a button just said reset. Okay. Sure. Wipe the memory clean. You don't, nothing happened in the past. I'm, I'm like a goldfish, right? Got 10 second memory, <laughs> Ted Lasso, right? <laughs> right. 10 second memory. Nice. And just reset and move forward. You you can you need you can express your emotions and express your feelings is what I've learned and it's okay to do that and you should do that, but at the same time you just need to acknowledge your feelings and you need to move forward. And so I lost a bunch of money, you know, whoop de doo, poor, poor Justin, right? But how do you get it back? How do you move forward? How do you not make that mistake again? Are you gonna just give up because you lost a bunch of money? Has anyone mm-hmm. else done that? Well, yeah, lots of people have lost money before. Lots of people sure. made mistakes. And um, I I just I know that I don't want to go back to a W-2 job. I just consider that jail for me. I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do it. There's been sure. many times and and I've lost money again on deals, uh, not not too far from the timeline where we're at right now, mm-hmm. and where I lost it all again. Right. Hmm. I get it back and I lost it all again. Um, you, you just I, I refuse to give up this life of being an entrepreneur and being a business mm-hmm. owner. And I I won't I won't back down no matter how many times I get knocked down. I love it. That's great. So just looking back on the times you've lost money as in specific deals. And I I think you would agree it's it's almost unavoidable if you do enough deals and you know yeah. you can't you can't approach business or or investing with the uh from the standpoint of there's no risk or anything like that there's always risk but what would you do differently from maybe an individual deal standpoint or um how have you adjusted your business model uh mm-hmm. you know going forward to avoid a, a big loss like that well i feel really comfortable now when i look at a deal and i underwrite it cuz i know the expenses in my head now that I've experienced going through a deal forwards and backwards and doing it many times. Mm-hmm. So I understand what it costs to go into it. I understand what can go wrong and I know what's going to happen. I hate not knowing what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so because now I know what's going to happen, um, anything minor that pops up really isn't a big deal. I know it's not mm-hmm. a major thing. So sure. going forward, I, I definitely have a lot of experience. And then I also have people that I can lean on very heavily. I, you know, I have, have you, I have, have Chris, yeah. I have, uh, you know, Richard, I have, you know, uh, my mentors that got me into the note business. Yeah. Um, I have all those people I can lean on when I have those challenges. So, so I, I would, and until this point, I don't have to lean on people too often anymore, unless I come across a really unique situation that I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have sure. that luxury today of passing on that knowledge now to the next person. And so that's I love it. A lot of what we do today is is more um, not training per se, but more just educational mm-hmm. to say, hey, learn from our experiences. And sure. We can tell you when you're doing this type of deal, I know I, I pretty much know what's gonna happen with this deal. You know, I can know mm-hmm. what this yeah. borrower is thinking. I, I know I know they're lying. <laughs> I know I know <laughs> right. I know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. It's yeah, and you get sometimes these because there's so many coaches and trainers out there now. Sometimes uh, those of us who do this in any capacity, because I do mentorship, uh, you know, on a one-on-one basis as well, and um, it's some some of us get a bad rap because uh, you know these because there are some shady coaches. There's, out there's there. some bad actors out there. That's for sure. For sure. And, you know, people who just should not be advising others, um, for sure. But, but you reach a point where it's like, well, why would you not, if you have all this experience, why would you not give back? Why, and and it, there's value in that for other people. So they should be paying you for that. If, that, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a, a good thing, but question on the, um, you know, so you mentioned your, your business partner, Richard, how did you get comfortable enough to partnering with Richard? And what do you look for when you're working with people, uh, professionally at this point? Yes. Yeah, so, so again, it's, it's like losing money on a deal and then trying to, to pick up the pieces and move forward. It's the same thing with a business partner or someone that you, that you want to work with on a, on a team. Mm-hmm. You're going to go through people, you're going to go through employees. It's just 
until you find the right assistant, you know, virtual assistant or, or helper, mm-hmm. you're not going to find the right one in, until until you do. And so you may sure. you may go through several and just like vendors, you're going to go through several vendors or contractors until you find the right one that works for you. So it's it's sniffing out what what is it that I'm looking for, and then how yeah. does that person um, replicate that, or how do they complement what I do well? Sure, so I know what I do well. I know what Richard Thornton does well. Yeah, and so together we we have a business marriage. Uh, yeah, very well, because there are things that he does that I just don't want to do. And I don't do well to begin with. There's mm-hmm. things that I do really well that he, he just, you know, throws up his hands and says, ah, <laughs> I, I, that's not me. Right. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Right. No, I've, and like I said, we've, I've gotten to know you guys a little bit better <clears throat> and it seems like you work very well together. So before I jump, I do have some, some more rapid fire questions, but before <laughs> I get to those, what's, um, talk about your business today. What does that look like? Um, you have a fund. What does that mean? What, what, what's your business look like today? Yeah. So today, um, we're doing the same thing that, that we're doing the past, uh, six or seven years, which is just buying seller finance paper. We, we find the people that create seller financing or do owner financing on their properties and then we buy that paper from them. And so with the fund, now we have a bigger bank that we can work from instead of using our own capital because mm-hmm. Richard and I decided, Hey, let's use our own money. And then we realized after, after, you know, 10, 14 deals, we don't have mm-hmm. any more money. <laughs> so yeah. how do we get more money there, but we should be doing a fund. We didn't know we were going to have this much opportunity to buy stuff. We didn't know we were going to do this well, this quickly. And yeah. so we just said, stop, we, we need a solution quickly. And we said, let's start a fund. So we said, we're going to do a $10 million fund. We're doing nice. a family and friends fund. Yeah. We call it 506B. Uh, fully mm-hmm. regulated and, uh, you know, had an attorney draft all the paperwork. Sure. And so uh, we have investors now that are investing in our fund where it's going to be yeah. a 10 year fund. And we only have, um, we're planning on after the first couple of years to do the next iteration of that fund to make it larger and more robust. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of our game plan. Our stepping stone is to get to three funds. And so the, okay. the first one is already in place in motion and already active. And the second one, about two years from now, we'll probably introduce the second. Nice. Well, I mean, a couple things I'll add on. One is you have the real estate background from, you know, picks and flipping and wholesaling and uh, construction. And I mean, that only helps um, when, because we do see, you know, as you know, people can, you can be successful as a note investor coming from the engineering side of things or coming from finance or the mortgage side of things or coming from the real estate or real estate investing niche. It's kind of a, it, there's not a one size fits all uh, avatar of who's going to be successful in, in as a mortgage note investor. But personally, I think if, if I had to give any, I mean, I think just having that real estate background is huge because what happens if your borrower goes uh, non-perform, your note goes non-performing, they stop paying. Well, you, you can evaluate that property, what to do with it. And you have that experience. So I think that only helps. Secondly, I think it, it just makes sense as far as the fund. I mean, you're, this business comes down to three things. It's raising, raising, it's, it's finding deals, which it sounds like you and Richard have a pretty good niche as far as uh, finding, uh, yeah. you know, access to, to notes <clears throat> themselves, seller finance paper. And the other piece is managing those assets, which I know you do a good job of because uh, we use have used the same uh, platform, and we've you yeah. and I have talked about that. And and then thirdly, like you said, it doesn't matter if you and Richard have ten million dollars between the two of you, you're going to run out of your own capital if if you're scaling. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, so you've got to find access to capital. So it's, it sounds like you've uh, found a way to solve all three of those problems. I know it's always a work in progress. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say solve the problem, but I'd say address, we're definitely in, work on. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely trending in the right direction. That you know, OPM, there other people's go. money, is a key yeah. to anybody's anybody's uh, real estate business. Um, Absolutely, no, that makes sense. Um, so, and then you have an educational side, and I know you have. Uh, we'll, we'll talk yeah. in a little bit about how people can can reach <clears throat> out to you. Um, but I've got a few uh, rapid fire questions here for you. Yeah. What's one thing that people misunderstand about you? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I, I think I think it's my discipline and my tenacity. They they don't okay. they don't. Um, I think that's part of it. The other 
the other thing I think people, and, and I don't know this, this is just my assumption, just my, my mm-hmm. view on how other people might view me or, or not take mm-hmm. advantage of, of, of what I, I know and my experience mm-hmm. is that I don't feel like a lot of people listen to my advice. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that they would at least consider it or at least seriously think about the fact that I've been through that before, or I, I, I can sense what's going on with this, or, you know, you should do things this way. And mm-hmm. it kind of bothers me a little bit, but I'm just, you know, sure. I understand from their point of view, you know, who, who am I? They don't know me yet. Right. They don't know my story or my background. Maybe after this episode, they will. Yeah, there you yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going to fix that problem right here, right now. Um, but, but I yeah. say, yeah, that, that's, that's the biggest thing I noticed is that I don't think people follow my, my advice very well. I, I feel like I give really good advice, Jamie, and I don't charge for it. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. You got to charge yeah, that for is the it. Problem. Um, no, that's good. I mean, it's, it's, I, I can, you know, I can relate on some level, but, um, you know, a lot of times it's just timing and, and how, how the message is structured and, but it's, you know, you can't, you can't force it. Um, what's one of your biggest, you know, regrets or failures that, that we haven't talked about anything that you can point to that you'd like a do over with? Man, there's a lot of things I'd like to do over with. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I'll talk out the other side of my mouth and say I wouldn't be here and know yeah. what I know today if I didn't go through what I went through. Um, sure. Going through the divorce, losing, losing a lot of money, um, not knowing if I'm going to be able to afford to, to buy my kids food. Um, mm-hmm. It's just there was times in my life to where it's just like, my God, like, is it really this bleak? And then I would read about, you know, other entrepreneurs and other CEOs. It's like they all go through it. They all have lost money. They've all gone through terrible stuff, mm-hmm. very stressful things. Like if you can't stomach this stuff, don't be an entrepreneur. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I didn't know the stuff either. I, I, I wish I would have had better mentorship or known who to trust early mm-hmm. on. And I think I would have had a lot less struggles. I still would have struggled. Don't, don't get me wrong. Sure. This wouldn't have been, there is no perfect road. There is no perfect way to hold somebody's hand. It's just, uh, it's too difficult to teach being a business owner in a class. You just have to get your hands dirty and just, absolutely. just hope and pray. Yeah. There's some principles you can, you know, fall back on, but your business <laughs> looks different than my business. So we oh, might yeah. have different, different struggles. And, you know, yeah. um, so speaking of that though, if you could go back and give your 18 year old self some advice, what would it be? I would say, understand money, understand financing very quickly. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah. That's a tough one too, because it's, uh, you know, we say we should educate and I fully agree it's critical, right, to to educate the younger generation on personal finance and investing. Getting their buy-in is the hard part sometimes, but um, I'll just leave that there. If you could go yeah. back and have, have a coffee or or a drink or you know, spend have a conversation with any historical figure, who would who would you choose? Any historical figure? Oh my yeah. gosh. They could still be alive today. Is just anybody you'd like to, you know, pick their brain for for half an hour. Man, I, I mean, not, nothing jumps out on paper, but I would, I would probably pick somebody that, that has just uh, been through a, just a lot of life challenges and just understand where their mind was, where they were going through, how, you know, how they move forward. I, I, I don't, sure. I, like I said, I can't picture who that would be off the top of my head, but it would be yeah. someone, and it may not be somebody famous. I mean, it just may sure. be somebody close to me that I know that I would look up to and be like, I want to be like that person. Absolutely. Um, if you were given $10 million tomorrow, what would you do with it? Invest in a fund. <laughs> um, I, I, would, I would definitely not spend it. I would um, probably pay off some debt that's been bothering me. And then I would probably make sure that I set up a very uh, strong portfolio that would just keep constant cash flow coming in. Nice. And build off that. I, I always try to live beneath my means or ju- just right at my means sure. and not, not overspend. So I don't, I don't have fan- fancy stuff because I just want to set up for the future. I'm used to not having fancy things, so I don't mm-hmm. want to start having it and be spoiled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about a, a, a book that you could recommend a book or two that's uh, either and in, in, you know, about life or entrepreneurship or investing any of those topics, uh, anything come to mind? Yeah, there's there's a few books that I've read. The titles are escaping me, and obviously, um, 
Rich Dad Poor Dad is is probably the number one book that you just have to read when you get sure. into real estate. Just it does a great job of setting the table of understanding why why nine out of ten millionaires are in real estate, to understanding financials, mm-hmm. understanding about hard assets, and understanding leveraging. Like all all those techniques are a great precursor to to what you can be. Um, but I also read a lot of just uh, sometimes I read just odd books <clears throat> that have nothing to do with life, nothing to do with um, um, bettering yourself as far as being a business person. Sure. So I, sometimes I read some occult or esoteric type of books just for, for the story of it or just understanding that this might have happened in our past. And that kind of, um, I guess, um, I'll say excites, but I guess it, 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 it answers a lot of questions for me about, you know, how, how did we get fast forward to 2023 from, you know, uh, mm-hmm. year zero when Christ was born, like what, mm-hmm. how, how do we get to here, you know, and how are things moving slow? And then all of a sudden there was a explosion of, you know, industrialism mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's just, that stuff fascinates me just to understand. Yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds like you have that analytical mind and you like to deconstruct things and just kind of yeah. <laughs> understand things from that standpoint. <laughs> um, so What's one thing in your business that you, a problem that you're dealing with right now on the business side? The biggest problem that we have, I think, is it's very similar to any any business today, and that's knowing how to market. Mm-hmm. So knowing how to market, meaning we we have to, like you said, we have to raise capital. So we're looking yeah. for individuals with private money. Number sure. two, we have we have to find inventory. So that that's two of our legs of our three leg stance here. Yeah, yeah. And so marketing to those two different verticals is always yeah. a challenge because it's it's an ever moving target, and it isn't the old ways before a lot of social media and technology where you just send out mail or put things in the newspaper because everyone is reading those things. Well, now everyone's reading a multitude of different type of sources. Mm-hmm. And it's how do you spend your money and where you spend your money. So it's very difficult to figure out, like you said in the beginning, your avatar, of yeah. who who your customer is or who your client is, and understanding you know, understanding them and how to reach them in a way that makes sense so that they are you know enticed or at least this is what they want to do. And I just happen to be in front of them when they want to make that decision. Sure. No, I can totally understand. It's it's, it's uh, the, the passive investor is very different than the active note investor, real estate investor, and you know how do you how do you uh, focus your marketing and and business development efforts to kind of yeah. provide the most value to the to the right the person you're trying to reach. Uh, well, there's sales, there's marketing, and they're yeah, not the same yeah. thing. They're, they're, they're not, the, not same. the same thing. Yeah, this is true. Um, yeah. I've I've just started trying to implement some KPIs. We just, just starting this in my business, you know, because we, we do all this yeah. marketing and it's like, what for yeah. <laughs> posting what, on social working? media? That's cool. Like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really mean anything yeah. if, unless it's really coming back to the business, but, yeah. um, so, um, what's one question that, that I haven't asked you that you wish I had, <laughs> um, Anything I, you want to talk about that we haven't touched on? Talk about your your podcast and yeah. and uh, you know where people can can find you. So we have a podcast called Be the Bank. We are on season five, and we're we're through probably I don't know six or seven episodes already on season five. We release it every other Wednesday, so we do about twenty six episodes a year. So every year is a season. That's how I I'm keeping track. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to keep track. I've been doing this for five years. Uh, I started off with my good friend here locally in the Indianapolis area. Her name is uh, Elizabeth Mayora, or she likes to be called Super E. <laughs> so we had the Super E and J podcast, and that was kind of the, the pilot season, the first season. And then we we changed the iteration to the Two Wealth Show, because we were just talking about wealth and, and, and real she was estate. Into, she's into short-term rentals, is that right? She is. She's okay. our short-term rental expert in our, yep. in our region, really. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that do it, so she kind of flourished pretty quickly. And she does. Mm-hmm. She's really smart, really well. She worked in the car industry um, up in up in Michigan for for a while in corporate. And so then she decided that she just really doesn't have a lot of time for it. Things are going well for her. She's running other businesses and buying other businesses. And mm-hmm. and so then I just took the lead and said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I got this. And then we I started the uh, the Be the Bank uh, podcast. So mm-hmm. now we've I've done uh, two seasons of this new iteration. Of it. Yeah. And so we focus on just talking about, it's almost like, um, 
back to, to sports now. Uh, yeah. The ESPN analyst the next day talking about the game last night. You know, it's <laughs> just Richard. You usually Richard and I are me and a guest bringing up yep. maybe a specific topic or just analyzing something and just having debate and discussion about it and sure. just being open about it. It's very quick. It's twenty to thirty minutes, so it's a car ride. That's what that yeah. podcast does. So it's called Be the Bank. You can subscribe to it on any podcast directory, and then we do a live monthly. Uh, educational broadcast that we do on our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. And that's American note buyers uh, YouTube channel. And that yes. is basically informational, more visual, just showing about me stats going on in the industry. We'll usually show a case study or give an example of things that we've done. So it helps people kind of understand real estate so they can choose to do it on their own, but most likely they end up being more passive and want to invest in like your funds. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Where do you see things going on the the seller financed uh, seller financing side of things? It's been trending. Um, so what, what, let's start back to the crisis of mm-hmm. two thousand nine, mm-hmm. uh, the debacle, the real estate sure. debacle. I'll call it uh, mm-hmm. the recession. Whatever, whatever the Great Recession, I think is what they called it. They labeled it as as uh, the states yeah. did. Um, so. Mortgages immediately got underwater because prices of home values just dipped very quickly, mm-hmm. pretty much overnight. So banks foreclosed like crazy. Mm-hmm. In around 2012, 2011, 2013, there was just a floodgate of foreclosures coming through. And mm-hmm. you could you could have all the money in the world and spend as much as you can at the sheriff's sale, and there'd still be leftover inventory. It was just mm-hmm. it was that much inventory that came to fruition. So a lot of these hedge funds would gobble them up, they would buy them, they would resell them on seller financing and do nothing to them. And borrowers would put down down payments and they would sell them on land contract or contract mm-hmm. for deeds or sometimes note mortgages. Mm-hmm. So that paper kind of baked 2014, 2015, 2016, they started selling off that paper a little bit at a time. So we had a lot of paper like that that came through. At that time, real estate was just you know, rising and in, in, in appreciation and appreciation. Around 2018, it kind of stayed, mm-hmm. stayed off. Sure. Um, and then so that's when kind of things got flat and it was harder to do no, notice noticing starting to do harder to do flips and stuff until we got mm-hmm. into 2020. And then really since the credit crunch was happening in 19, 20, 21, um, it's been harder for people to get bank financing. So now sure. seller financing becomes strong. Appreciation is still rising and still rising yeah. crazy. So seller financing is going to continue to get stronger for the next couple mm-hmm. of years. Um so if you don't so, know this too. already, Jamie, it's about 30 to 35,000 seller finance transactions get recorded every year. Hmm. Wow. Residential, mm-hmm. commercial, land, all that stuff. Um, bulk of them come from Texas. Okay. Yeah. No, I would, I would, I agree that it's only going to continue to trend in the upward direction as far as opportunity in the seller finance, <clears throat> seller financing space. Um <clears throat> You know, it's, it's, and of course we, we record this, you know, today, who knows what's going to, what it's going to be like in six months, right? We don't have a crystal ball, but the fact is, um, like you said, residential real estate can, even though there are other offices, you know, commercial is different. Multifamily might start to see some real, it's looking like we're seeing some cracks in that, that space. But when you're talking residential real estate in the, say 75,000 to $250,000 $250,000 range. Um, it's only the prices are only continuing to climb. And because why would people <laughs> transactions are down, but, but um, so that collateral value is, is only continuing to rise. Um, and like you said, and with the credit crunch, underwriting standards have, have only gone up and up and up. So it's hard to get an institutional It's hard to get a loan from a bank. Right. Well, wh- so why, why would they lend on a property that's 150,000 and less? It's does sure. it does them no good because it costs yeah. them the same to underwrite that as it does a million dollar home. Mm-hmm. So why why would they want to? It only yeah. benefits us as entrepreneurs and real estate investors for seller for to do seller financing uh, to help to help that market void right there as as our friend Eddie would say. <laughs> Absolutely. So no, that's great. It seems like you've got some strong opportunity there in the space that you find yourself in. Yeah. Uh, Residential is going to be good. I think 2024 in the spring is going to be a great year to start investing in real property again. I think you'll mm. start to seeing more motivated sellers at that point. And so I think there'll be the inventory will start to balance back out again. I think commercial is going to be a great opportunity for non-performing note investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only, it's only going to get more bleak 
uh, for uh, the commercial banks and commercial lending right now because they're yeah. holding paper that's just losing its value every day. And so you can probably, you're probably going to be able to pick up some pretty good deals pretty soon. If you invest in commercial, it's a lot more capital intensive, but, but you can pick up some good deals, which is great while we have the fund as well. And you do too. Absolutely. There's always, there's always opportunity behind every, every problem, right? Even though the headlines will scare you. um, That's, that's, uh, you know, that's the life of an entrepreneur and an investor is finding that opportunity and then adding value to those yeah. distressed assets and adding value to the, your investors and the people you work with. So, yeah. um, what else do you want to add, Justin, before we wrap up? Um, really, uh, I appreciate being on, I, this is the first time I shared a lot of those things on, on open air. So hopefully, uh, my experiences will give somebody inspiration to say, you know, there's somebody has gone through something. Uh, like I said, some of my stuff is not traumatic or, or tragic by by any means from somebody else's uh, experiences or what they've gone through. But I think the moral of my story can relate to a lot of people is, you know, you, if you want to do this, just commit to it, just like a marriage and just be in it for the long haul. And mm-hmm. there's going to be ups. There's going to be a lot of downs. And all you have to do is learn from the downs and be prepared for them when they happen. Yeah. I mean, it's a very practical episode. Unfortunately, a lot of people can relate to relationship struggles and, yeah. and, and, you know, adultery and divorce and things like that. Um, you know, and, and I, I just love the fact that you were vulnerable and, and that, um, you know, you recognize, even though a lot of what you went through, you actually couldn't control, you're still not, you're still owning up to, you know, there are lessons there for what you could have done better as far as the communication you, you talked about that. Um, and so just, I think for the listener out there, understanding that life sucks sometimes (laughs) and, and that's okay. And you, you can get through it and better days are ahead. Um, and you know, you, Justin, you've had struggles on the personal side of things as well as on the, you know, the, the business side of things. But you're still here and um, your lessons from your sports and your swimming, your discipline and your tenacity that came out of that is only going to come back and reward you and reward, you know, Richard and the the investors who work with you. Um, so I do thank you for coming on. And um, any any uh, last tidbit you want to share? Yeah, I, I would say as you were... Um regurgitating this this episode here and, and spelling it out in, in a fast sense, I was thinking uh, one of the best things that I learned from, from counseling is that when you get stuck on something or you just shake your head and you don't understand why, you know, you write down on a piece of paper, what are the things I can control? Mm. And what are the things I can't control? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I can't control is, is somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. I can control my feelings. I can control how I react to a situation, but I can't control what somebody else does. Sure. So a lot of the things that I do in life, I just, I sit back and I just understand like I, I if I'm trying to get a certain reaction out of somebody or, or a certain thing to happen, I need to make sure that I'm communicating to them how they want to be communicated. So uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is, is people not reading emails. Mm, so I yeah. understand when you, when you, send a lengthy email, not everybody <laughs> is going to read it in its entirety. So you yeah. have to make it very brief, very quick, and very easy to follow, color coordinate it, bullet point it, and just say, I need these three questions answered. And then, you know, yeah. your life's a lot easier. So I can't control how, if somebody reads my emails, right? what I can control is just getting the point out quickly. Yeah. How you present that email to them. I, you and I have uh, several of the same <laughs> pet peeves. Yeah. Why won't this person listen to me? You know, why won't they read my email? <laughs> I mean, I told you to use uh, the blue pen on, on the white paper. Right. Hello. I don't know how else to spin it. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's good. No, it's, it's very true though. In, in all seriousness, you can't control what other people, anything no, they can't. do really. So why uh, get upset about it, Jamie? Yeah. Why absolutely. get, why get upset about it? Yeah. I love it. Well, Justin Bogard, um, this has been very good. I really appreciate your time. I think Welcome. you said you uh, you uh, you said something about you're about to go uh, swing some golf clubs. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's a nice day today. I'm going to hit the range real quick, and then awesome. my youngest daughter has a math bowl contest uh, at our local middle school um, in a few oh. hours. So that's love it. That's my plans today, and that's what I look forward to is just getting to enjoy those things because I have those freedoms now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned your, t- your podcast and your monthly um, webinar show. What, is there anything, anything else you want to uh, put out there as far as how the listener can get, get a hold of you? Sure. I appreciate that opportunity to, to plug in. So once again, we're with American Note Buyers. We have a website called anbfunds.com. We have a podcast that's called Be The Bank. You can, look, you can subscribe to any podcast directory. We have a YouTube channel for American Note Buyers. You can look us up and see tons of videos. Uh, and so those are the three things that we have out there. So if you want to communicate with us, go to our website, anbfunds.com. And we have a awesome. contest us page and you can just kind of look at some of our content there. But if you want to get some free stuff out of it, listen to our podcast, download it, and then also watch some of our YouTube videos. We have a ton of content out there, just, you know, like I'm sure yeah. you, you and Chris do as well. Yeah. No, and I, like I said, I've, for the listener out there, I've gotten to know Justin and Richard better over the last year or two. And I highly recommend you check out their content. They do, they know what they're doing and they put out a lot of good stuff. So Thank thanks again, Justin. And To the listener, thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us. And that is your time. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us, your time. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and fellow podcast listeners. One entrepreneur at a time, we can change the world. See you next time. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation, available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.